Verlander sliding in over the line. He's through the defense, right big side of shot scores. Matthews set up by Nylander with the extra attacker on. And the Maple Leafs have jumped to a 1-0 lead. And Matthews has opened the scoring back-to-back -back nights on this road trip. Flip once more for Matthews. Looking for a second. Another shot. Reba scores! Austin Matthews once again. What a performance. A multi-goal game for the 66th time of his career. You know, a pretty emotional game last night. Uh, the ups and downs and then, um, you know, fighting for the one point and then obviously coming out back to back, playing a really good team. He's been playing very well as of late. So um, it's nice to finish the trip off uh, with two points and, uh, you know, the dad's all here and everything just kind of makes it extra special. Morning show, Sports at 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. And, of course, Austin Matthews, who has a couple of goals yesterday. Give him 21 mm -hmm. for the season. Funny. Uh, Joe Bowen talking about Austin Matthews' 66th multi-goal game, which is outrageous. It's a lot. Um, he's also now on pace for 66 goals. Hmm. Over 66 goals. All right? This is a guy, like, obviously you could have anticipated this, that this pace, considering he started the season with two straight Hat tricks. Like that was, yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good way to start your season after a very down year scoring wise for him a season ago uh, with just 40, a paltry 40 a season ago, 21 in 26 games this season, an NHL leading 14 at even strength as well as he mm -hmm. is the NHL's leader in even strength goals since he stepped onto a National Hockey League ice service. Where does he end up goal scoring wise here, Brent? Because, you know, we did the like, could he get to 70 mm -hmm. when when he started his season off so ridiculously, right? And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, it feels like anything's possible. Yep. And then he goes through the fallow point there. And like he was the the subject of a little bit of criticism, which I don't know, does it feel stupid in retrospect? Nope. I, I don't even know if it does, right? Like that's just the normal ebbs and flows of a regular season. He's back on a heater, though, right? Seven goals over his last five games. Where where does he finish here? Because yeah, he's already done the sixty thing before. Mm -hmm. He's on a better pace than that. Like even you yep. go back to that season. I think it was game thirty one that he ended up with his twenty first goal of the season during that sixty goal campaign. What is what is the bar for him goal scoring wise this season? I, I'm done putting ceilings on him, so I'm not going to sit here and say that sixty five, even as ridiculous as it is, seventy is completely out of the question. I'm not going to do that. But if you were to come to the mic and say, Hey, gunning over under 59.5 goals for Austin Matthews this season, I think I'm, I'm not going to feel good about it. And I hope I'm wrong. I think I'm still going to take the under really. Yeah. He's shooting at 18.6% right now on the year. It was in which the seventeens before yesterday though. Yeah. So 17.2 is the percentage he was at yeah. during that 60 goal season. So that's kind of the mark you're looking at now. He's been shooting at a clip that he wasn't even shooting at it during that season at times during this run here that he's capable of. So again, I'm not going to put a ceiling on it, but I just think that it is always so dangerous when a goal scorer is in a run to talk about what their goal totals are going to look like. Because again, we've seen the, the two weeks that follow from this and mm -hmm. I, and 
the whole point of Austin Matthews as a hockey player is that as he has evolved in this league, he gives you things even on the nights that he doesn't put one in the back of the yeah, net. That's, that's, still what what get to. that's still what he's there here to do. But I think that, and again, I'd love to be wrong about this. I would love everyone out there to at me, cold uh, old takes exposed, freezing cold takes, whatever it is. Gunning's an idiot because Matthews potted 66 this year, whatever it ends up being. I'd love that to be the case. It's just, that's still so hard to do. And I think last year kind of warped our minds that everybody, that there were, that there were so many guys guys up around that that number pasta eclipsing him yep. and david doing the same so i i, I think that that kind of warped everybody's perception of it as well it's like if he finishes with 58 goals or 57 goals guess what it's still a really really good year people yeah if you win the rocket though or you want to win the rocket you probably have to get to 60 Close. right because yeah this is what we're talking about this era of the nhl uh with the ridiculous goal scoring numbers so in that 60 goal season you may recall he won the Hart Trophy I do. as well. Like, I do. So it was it was not just the goal score, right? Like, it was everything. And he is doing everything again recently. I would say that in an overall sense this season, that part of his game has been a little more up and down than I recall from yep. the Hart Trophy That's season. That's fair. Okay, so is he not having his best season ever? Like, how does this compare to the Hart Trophy season, right? I would say, and... You know, part of this, I'll admit, like part of this is the Hart Trophy season. I was doing Leafs pre and post. I was in the building and it, honest to God, felt like the puck just bounced on his stick, gave him an amazing look every single night. Not say he didn't do things to generate those own amazing looks, but the 60 goal season, you go back and yeah, it was a lot of curl and drags like we think of, but it was so many tips. It was so many rebounds with so many greasy goals around the net. And I think that that is what was separating him that year, but that's also what you're continuing to see from him. I think that if you want him to be somebody who we think of as the best player in the game or on that McDavid sphere or put him in a hard trophy conversation, there are just little elements. And I'm not saying he lacks in them, but it's like, okay, look at John Tavares. He's at 61% or whatever, you know, he's at over 60% on his draws a couple of we or a couple of days ago. Matthews needs to continue to take some strides in that. He is a dominant player in that, but those are the little things that I think you look for, for him to continue to take strides. I don't know that this is a better version of him than the 60 goal season. And I, I think, don't think so either, but because it, it, so it much of it is the, it's the burst. It's yeah. six goals in the first two games. It's four in the last couple. Like yeah, it's just five, or, uh, seven in the last five. Yeah. The, it, and the, he had bursts like that, but it, it felt more consistent Honestly, in you, the 60 goal yeah, season. Yeah, That's part of it. I also think the fact that he's, he's done the 60 goal season has, has, has changed things, right? Like mm. he had, yeah, he'd scored 41 in the 52 games in the North Division. He'd gotten 47 in the 70 games in in, in 1920, um, finishing up in the the bubble with mm-hmm. the, the five-game series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then he has the 60-goal season and sets the franchise record, and he's, you know, top of Mount Rushmore as far as Toronto Maple Leafs' goal scoring is concerned, wins the Hart Trophy. The fact that he's done it before, like, I feel like... If that season doesn't exist, right. this run that he's on, being on pace for 60-plus goals, takes on a different tenor. Because like You're I saying said, we already don't appreciate well, him enough, kind of. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, like it felt like every night the puck was going on the back of the net and it was one of the most amazing stories yeah. in sports that season. It's going in more for him this season yeah. than that season. Like in by a not insignificant margin. It... Why doesn't it feel you know, quite that way? I I can't believe I'm the one who took so long to figure it out. It's, it'll shock you whose fault it is that it doesn't feel this way. You want to guess? 
Uh, it's Mitch Marner's fault somehow. The NHL's fault. Oh, okay. The schedule. Yeah. They've had too many stops and starts. Like, uh, we talk about him having stops and starts. They have already had basically two and a half bye weeks in their season. The reason it feels like, oh, my God, Austin Matthews, it's a crescendo in every single night. It's because it's every single night. We saw him on Saturday. We saw him on Monday. Mm-hmm. We saw him last night. We're going to see him again on Thursday. We're going to see mm-hmm. him again on Saturday. And finally, the season is getting back to a rhythm. I do think there's, honestly, it just kind of clicked as you were saying that, of why doesn't it feel like it's every night? And it's because the Leafs it's haven't played actually. every every no. night. That's the problem. Is that? <laughs> but they haven't even had their... Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. When was the last time we just had a week that was like that before this? It's been nearly a month for the Leafs that they have had just a regular kind of set run of games that most teams expect to play. So honestly, I think a big part of the reason why it doesn't feel as consistent, why it doesn't feel like it's night tonight is that. And the other part of it as well, we have to, you know, this, ha- like, I'm not going to knock this player for it, but so much of it is the oxygen William Nylander was taken up through the first 17 right. games of the season when he had that point streak up through that's the Sweden part, trip. We didn't the, talk about the true Matthews. reason. I think yeah. you're right because it was William Nylander getting and rightly so. And still William Nylander with more points than Austin Matthews this season. But yeah, William Nylander was taking up all of the narrative oxygen from this team when it came to special statistical seasons. And now, the contract stuff just bled into that. It was like the perfect con. It was a perfect conversation topic for us. You could almost do like a Nylander contract index with every every game he was racking up points. It just kept climbing, climbing, climbing. Like it was kind of the perfect, you know, two stories meshing together there. Again, so on pace for more goals than he had in the sixty goal season, mm-hmm. in which he won the Hart Trophy. He's the sixth favorite, according to Sports Interaction, to win the Hart Trophy. Here are the guys he's behind: Connor McDavid. Still, uh, that the, makes the, that the makes all the sense in the world. Leader, to me. okay, and and yeah, that team's won eight straight, and he has twenty five points in his last ten games. It's pretty good. Um, Nikita Kucherov who is mm-hmm. the NHL points leader right now. Jack that. Jack Hughes got off that great yep. start. He's up there. David Pasternak, mm-hmm. pretty good player. Artemi Panarin. Uh, those are the, the five <laughs> the, guys ahead the, of him. The ghost in that game last night. Did you even notice him? Obviously, I did. one game. Yeah, barely. okay. Um, so if the Leafs finish at or near the top of the Atlantic mm-hmm. division, and he scores more than 60 goals again, or yep. leads the NHL, like wins the Rocket mm-hmm. again. I mean, is that not a value play to be putting a couple of ducats on Austin Matthews? Because, like, Connor McDavid, I get it. Yeah, like, he's obviously trending in a direction where he's going to be back in the Art Ross Trophy discussion. I don't know if he's going to be in the Rocket uh, discussion again. He's got to really pick it up with the goal scoring. Yeah. Does... Uh, Connor McDavid. Slouch. Didn't um, even get one last night. Just two assists. Bum. Yeah. Um, he's also playing a career high in minutes or at least close to mm-hmm. a career high in minutes. Is this is this not a potential another heart trophy season for Austin Matthews? And the guy that I would say that you'd be most nervous yep. about most years is Connor McDavid. And still, according to Vegas, yep. the 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 lowest odds to, to win the heart trophy this season. But again, like if you're going by counting statistics and it's not like the... Mm-hmm. I mean, the Oilers look like they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't think they're they're going to be atop the Pacific Division going into the. Yep. This is a regular season award. It feels like good odds on Austin Matthews. They are good odds on Austin Matthews, but the Connor McDavid narrative feels like it's going to be too too strong. Because if the they the Oilers either miss the playoffs and then obviously this isn't happening, yeah. Or it's Connor McDavid and the sheer force of will and the inevitable season that he will have. And I'm yeah. not saying that that's right, but I'm just there's a reason there's only going to be one Leaf who wins. 
the Hart Trophy. And it's because he's far and away the best player on the team, but it's also a narrative award. Like, there's no world where John Tavares is going to win, or Mitch Marner, mm-hmm. or even with the start he got off to, William Nylander's uh, winning that award, and okay? And Kucherov's not winning it with the Lightning being on the outside of the playoff looking in. Exactly. So, uh, when I look at McDavid, the narrative case there, you know, McDavid almost, we, it's funny, we had the conversations about the Northern Star Award and how, okay, hockey player has to do something so exceptional, or no one else has to step up. So it's okay. Let's do a hockey player this year with McDavid. That's almost how it feels with the heart trophy of, mm-hmm. okay, Connor McDavid has his floor of acceptable seasons. So yeah. long as he gets there, there needs to be a narrative uh-huh. in Matthew's 60 goal season. It wasn't strictly narrative, but there was the narrative of, we haven't seen a guy do this in since Ovechkin in his prime mm-hmm. feels like it's deserving of a heart season. To the point about the narrative, if he gets 63 goals and he wins the rocket, but the Oilers are in the playoffs and McDavid, you know, had a torrid pace to, at the back half of the season. The narrative won't be, oh, it's the first time somebody's done that. It was, eh, it's not even the best goal total of, of since last year when McDavid had 64. So I do think the fact that two guys got over 60, it's going to kind of change the math there. But from a value play, I, I love it. Honestly, McDavid's the only guy there. I could see a year where, again, if the Oilers miss out, which I don't think is going to happen, then it completely opens it for anybody. You could, I could see a key, a world where you know you don't think there's a ton of Americans are dying to give Jack Hughes that that trophy. I mean, they already put him as the fourth most important player in the NHL or whatever uh, wishes list was that we that we yeah, had him like, on at the beginning I, of the year. That team needs to get into the playoffs as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a couple of guys ahead of him and, and not Pasta, who's yeah, he's deserving of consideration. Can you consistently? Can like I know this is a little bit of sour grapes on my end, but does he feel? like an NHL MVP <laughs> to you, like David Pasternak and his pit viper sunglasses. And well, you'd rather they give it to Brad Marchand. I, I would not rather, but that <laughs> like I can squint and see that it just doesn't feel like David Pasternak, uh heart trophy winner. I don't know. doesn't feel right in my bones. I'm well, sure. I, I'm sure I just made it happen though. So I, you can all blame me. I, I, I don't discount that possibility. Um, so Austin Matthews, again, like feels like under the radar for a guy that's on pace to score 66 goals and, and has his team very much in position to, to compete atop the Atlantic division. I feel like Sheldon Keefe's season's kind of going under the radar as well. Like not, mm-hmm. not that he deserves Jack Adams' award consideration. No, he can't. They're too good. Not, not allowed, right? Especially when you have the expectations this team did coming into the season. But us watching each and every game of this year and understanding where this guy came from on an expiring deal with the new GM and gets like the extension, but we all knew what that was. It was a cursory thing. We've already seen three coaches fired. Like you Mm -hmm. telling me that Sheldon Keefe couldn't have been one of them if they were hovering. I am not like the, the blues are like, they can still make the playoffs. They're hovering around a play. Like if, if some of those shootout overtime games go differently, Mm -hmm. like a couple of those empty net, Our uh, six-on-five goals do not go in the Leafs' favor. Are we talking about Sheldon Keefe not being with this team? But, yeah, he was handed a bunch of ill-fitting pieces. Mm -hmm. One of the guys is on LTIR for the rest of the season. It took a while for Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi to to find their their footing. He made that work. They had the weirdo schedule. They go to Sweden for a week. He's lost three defensemen from not exactly the best blue-line core Mm -hmm. in the NHL, and now he's down his number one goalie, like, it feels like Sheldon Keefe deserves some credit for for what's happened here now through 20-plus games. Yeah, I mean, just to belabor the point about the defense specifically, he's dressing a guy who feels like he can't play right now. 
Max Lajoie played seven minutes last night, and I know that was a 4-3 game heading into the third period, but look at what the score finished up at, and he played 7-47 in that game. That is clearly a guy that Keefe just feels, and I don't think he's wrong to feel this way, just mm-hmm. feels that he can't trust. They have done the like emergency recall of Kokanen, so it's not as though that's the only option they can play is Lajoie, but it's clearly the only option they feel they have. That just hammers home the point of what Sheldon Keefe has done with this group. I, I, we talk so much about his tinkering nature and oh, Tinkerbell, he's gonna get the slap chop out, he's gonna get his blender out, he's gonna mix and match all the time. That hasn't happened this no, year. No, it really hasn't. And part of it is that Nylander in that line was rolling and then things just kind of fit together so you couldn't really mesh with it. Maybe that's the case is that you needed a few less pliable pieces. You needed more pieces that fit firmly into their spot in the lineup. And now Keefe is kind of rolling with it. And again, that doesn't mean he just is opening the doors out there. He'll occasionally, you know, it was it was, uh, it was Yarncrock out there with Bertuzzi and, and Tavares on one of the goals that he scores last night. So it's not as though he's he goes away from feel or bumping a guy up in various spots. But I think he's really found his level with that. That is the thing we talk about so much with him. He stopped doing it and we don't give him seemingly any credit for it. And again, I know it's one of those things that when it's working, sometimes you don't notice it, but we should take notice of it like that has been maybe the most constant criticism of Keith as a coach in this market of course the public comment stuff but right there has been you do not let players get comfortable there's been no ability for them to kind of find chemistry with line mates he's let stuff percolate and it's paid dividends in a big way especially up front this year yeah and uh, the dealings with the media which is always man such a <laughs> I, I, I I'm I'm sure um you know his the impact that he has on the narrative surrounding this team is outsized compared to every other yep. coach in the National Hockey League. And again, maybe it's just Austin Matthews is going to go through ups and downs mm-hmm. throughout the course of a regular season. But quite factually, he did make a point of answering a direct question, mind you, yep. and not not the first question, but eventually a direct question about Austin Matthews on that Saturday before mm-hmm. the Bruins game and saying, no, it needs to be better. And immediately he was better and scored two goals and has scored seven goals in his last five games since then. No, I just, I, I think again, he's not going to win a Jack Adams because you're not allowed nope, when, when there are expectations surrounding the Toronto Maple Leafs like they were, but like can Chris Knobloch, that doesn't seem fair. I don't know. <sighs> can he? That's a good question. I feel like he can. I feel like he, he can too. Can. Like if the Oilers just never lose another game after yeah. being, after losing to the San Jose Sharks yeah. in the moment where Jay Woodcroft looks to his assistant and says, yeah. like, I think that's it for us. And then they let him have one more. Yeah. they're so nice. <laughs> but the decision was made. Yeah. The, the die was cast at that point. Stepping into the seat and then whether you're doing it or not, again, like who knows the actual impact of these head coaches probably most on the players. But yeah, yeah. I think he could probably win it. I think, I think Sheldon Keefe should be in the conversation. He probably won't again because no, this feels the, like the, the Leafs were like you know uneven to start the season, but never really bad. Bad. Mm-hmm. If the Leafs had really been bad and then turned it, I mean, but he's been there for the whole the the whole season, so it, it probably wouldn't have worked in his favor either way. But I'm just saying yeah. that of all the discussion we've had about this team, Sheldon Keefe's name not coming up. No closer to the beginning of the conversation. It should be happening. We should, and and we should fet him to lose the Jack Adams Award to Rick Tockett, who is inevitably going to win it this year because yeah, it feels like uh, we're, we're, what, 30 games into the season, and feels like they'd have to lose the remaining, I don't know, whatever, 50-some-odd uh, that are that are left for him to not win that award. Mm, yeah, Leafs with a better points percentage, though, than the uh, 
Vancouver Canucks. Oh, and remember, they played the greatest game of all time against the Canucks when Mark Giordano and everybody defending each other's honor. That's right. A couple of uh, fighting instigators uh, in the first period of that hockey game, uh, but those were the only goals the Canucks scored in it. All right. Time now for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. The NHL All-Star Game in Toronto this year, as you well know. Uh, there's going to be a, actually I'm aware. There's going to be a change to the All Star Skills Competition. So I I, I wondered whether there would be a, a CN Tower component and what kind of silly goose event there would be. None. It turns out good. Okay, so Connor McDavid apparently like man. If there's ever a reason to to give him even more consideration for the Hart Trophy, it's that he's he's attempting to fix the All Star Game or All Star Weekend. I need to know what his input was. Apparently significant. Like, everybody has the same report. The NHL came to him, and he's like, here's what I think. Give us all money. A million dollars, winner take all, 12 skaters competing in the skills competition. So the, the all-star game is still the same as three-on-three. But we're talking about the skills competition, yeah. and the, the 12 players participating can choose which skills competitions they want to be involved sure. in. They've all... They've got various point uh, totals that you can accrue by finishing in various spots in those competitions. Mm-hmm. And then there's a skills competition. They all have to participate. Yeah. Anyways, the headline item is million bucks to the winner of this thing, Brent. You know, I joked with you guys about who was going to have this take before the show. I'm going to have it. I'm actually going to do it. What what happened to just wanting to compete and care and wanting to put on a show and beat your fellow man? Like, we are not asking you to go play a 60-minute NHL game. We are asking you to take six hard slap shots if you're Victor Hedman, to name a guy. We're asking you to do a couple hard laps, Connor McDavid. And, hey, if these guys need the million bucks and you get to put a briefcase of cash at center ice and maybe it looks cool, okay. But every single time we go to reinventing one of these things, and I'm not like I'm not gonna knock it until I see it. Maybe it ends up being good. All I want, all I want, and I know it's not about me, but you're asking me, so I'm gonna make it about me, is I just want the all-star game from when I was, I don't know, pick a year, when I was eight. I just want a real game, not three on three, yeah. with games, with teams, with players on the bench and guys interacting. I want skills contests that looks like a skills contest that I watched in grainy footage with Ray Bork going four for four in accuracy shots, exploding foam targets. That's what I want to see. Well, so uh, I, I had kind of a similar thought. Well, one was, okay, so the million bucks is to attract people into the event, right? right? It's not to entice people to try their best in the skills competition. Because, yeah. like, if you're in the skills competition, it's not like, yeah, there's some, like, risk of injury. No, no. You're right. right. It is to entice them there. Okay, fair. E- yeah. Um, but to your point, I mean, if if you really did want to make this interesting, yeah, you'd make it a real game, and then you'd have the true financial incentive for the winner of the all-star game. Like, yeah. that would be... the be- That's the one where... You need impetus to try your best. Now, I'm not saying that's in the best interest of the sport because do you want and guys letting I think each it's other what out? You, I think it's what you it, – it all is, and it's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's what you want in your all-star game. I know. I think the reason why I want a full game is because I know I'm not going to like the lazy product, the, like the lazy hockey that is played during it. So give me all the moments of just guys who we don't see – like the idea that it's all in division, mm. like we don't 
Why, why can't I see Matthews and Sid on the bench together? Or, you know, Ovi and Sid are going to be on the bench together. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, we used to see this. So it was like, they'd be a team of 30 dudes, mm-hmm. and there'd be two guys from this team and two guys from that team, and you'd see them co-mingling. And that is honestly more interesting fun to me than okay here's a guy going at 42 percent and he's gonna launch a head high sauce pass that's gonna land perfect like yeah that's fine to see once or twice but after five minutes i'm kind of done with it so that's i i think it just depends on what you what you kind of want out of your all-star game and for me it's just that stuff it's the ancillary it's not the actual game because i know what the game's gonna be what i don't want and what the nhl realizes nobody wants is some of the stupid stuff that they've had in mm-hmm. recent all-star yes. games jack with- hughes being a magician and yeah, yeah no nobody nobody needs no. that uh, right like no. yeah no try to bring yeah, the tradition back to the skills competition with the hardest shot and fastest, yeah, skater. fastest skater yeah yeah do do what the nba does where have yeah the skills portion of the all-star weekend be the headline item yeah and i don't no no judging breakaways I don't want. Oh my goodness don't, gracious! Yeah, you no know what Alex should Ovechkin be the, you with know what? A, 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 a Tilly hat. No, you like what I want is I want goalies trying to stop shots and shooters trying to score. That's mm-hmm. what I'd like. I don't Which want. Is apparently, like the the end event yeah. here is like what is it? Oh my god, poor goalies! But it's I think it's forty seconds. Score as yes. many breakaway goals as possible. Electric. Like yes, please. Good job, NHL. More things along those lines. All right. Here for it. Love it. Good job. Uh, when we come back, Michael Grange with a story on sportsnet.ca about the Raptors' decisions to come before the trade deadline. One of the paths uh, that they could take is holding on to Pascal Siakam yet again and then signing him to an extension, which I is... I've been warning you guys this is not completely off the table. I have been warning you all. It, it feels inconceivable, yeah, but uh, we'll talk to Grange about <laughs> the potential of that. Uh, scenario manifesting itself next as the fan morning show continues Ben Ennis Brent Gunning Sportsnet 590 The Fan Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL The J.D. Bunkus Podcast Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Raptors, Hawks, Scotiabank Arena tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Can I interest you in a little statistical nugget, yep. Brent? The Toronto Raptors find themselves just two games up in the loss column mm. on the Utah Jazz. Mm. The reason I bring up the Utah Jazz is because the Utah Jazz find themselves in the sixth worst record position mm. in the NBA. Why do I bring up the sixth worst record mm. position in the NBA? Mm. Would it be because the Raptors' first round pick is top six ah. So, I mean, they could still win the lottery outside of that position sure. to, to sure. protect their pick this upcoming season. But yeah, not not that far off from being in a position where statistically they'd be likely to hold on to their first round pick this year instead of handing it to the San Antonio Spurs who are going to have a nice little draft pick this season as well. All right, they let's had talk. a pretty good one last year. Too. Yeah, they did. Yeah, uh, They have no wins, though. All right, uh, let's talk to Michael Grange, Sportsnet Zone. How's it going, Michael? It's going well. How are you guys? 
Doing all right. Uh, yeah, Raptors are a tough watch right now. Um, I mean, it's it's not yet Christmas, so I guess there's there's time to to turn it around. Um, is this man? I, I read your piece, which is great, and I implore everybody else to to check it out on Sportsnet.ca. I, I felt like there was no counter-argument to this finally being the year they have to make a move, they have to subtract at the trade deadline, but you outlined the case for holding on to Pascal Siakam yet again and signing him to an extension. How likely a path do you think that is? Um, I wouldn't put odds on it, but I don't, I don't think we should rule it out. And, uh, but what's, it's just something I'm, I'm, you know, that's going to get tracked, I think, the next couple of weeks because I think if it's going to happen... Um, you know, there's a little more likelihood or a little more urgency to have it done in the next two weeks before the calendar flips. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of permutations around that. But basically, um, you know, if the Raptors were to extend them now, they, you know, they would obviously happen for the rest of the season. As you guys point out, there's no point in tanking this season because they're, you know, they don't want to lose their pick. Um, or sorry, they... And then uh, you also are in a situation where if you sign that contract, um, you know, and then you have them, uh, you have them as a, as a trade asset, you know, in going into the summer next year. And then there's also some significance of um, if you are going, if you're not going to sign them to an extension, if you are going to trade them, uh, you're a little more uh, likely to do it. And there might be a little more appetite for it to do it before, January 1st, because that way, uh, whatever team was uh, gaining Pascal Siakam in a trade, let's say they sign an extension on December 27th, uh, then um, they would have a four-day window uh, to do an extension beginning June 27th exclusively with Pascal before he becomes a free agent. So there's a little, so there's a little bit more comfort there. Um, and similarly for the Raptors, if they do sign into an extension, let's say again, December 27th, um, then six months from that, they could, they can trade him. So they would have an option to trade him um, at that point. Again, a little bit before the, the market goes crazy. So, you know, it's just like a little wrinkle in the calendar that is kind of an inflection point. Um, but uh, it also kind of reflects that, you know, I don't know if there's a, I think there is a, a market for Pascal Siakam for obvious reasons, but in terms of um, getting the best return, if that is a goal, um, you know, you might be able to do that better if he was under contract. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and it's good that you point out the the calendar rules because the NBA has, I mean, quite a few of those more more than other sports. Like with the NHL, we just got to worry about all right, there's a guy on a team December first. Okay, good, we can go from there, and then there's some stuff in playoffs. But yeah, there are a few more of those trip dates with the NBA. So I'm happy you I'm happy you point that out, and you did kind of answer the next question I, I wanted to ask. There is the idea of his value being higher with a contract extension. You know, I can obviously understand having a player for more than one season better than less, but you know, the contract extension that he's going to get with the Raptors, and I understand to be with anybody else, is going to be a, a hefty one. Like, are we certain that there aren't some teams that would rather buy the the rental than have the fully extended version of, of Pascal Siakam? Or are we certain that that would be a better trade chip with him extended as opposed to him as a, a as more of a, a rental or a wait-and-see guy? Well, a couple of things there. One is is, is on the rental side of it. I mean, the, whatever return you're going to get is going to reflect that. Right. So, you know, if the goal is, uh, you know, which the goal should be, you know, at, at minimum, 
a couple of good, uh, really good young players, maybe a pick or, or something like that, you know, something significant, you know, that price, you know, comes down uh, if, if you're only guaranteed to get him for three months, right? And, and, and Siakam, you know, he controls his destiny, right? And he is going to be a free agent. So nobody's going to make a significant trade unless they can be really sure that uh, they have a really good chance of signing him. And so I think the extension piece is an interesting one. Uh, the other thing that's interesting to watch, too, is, you know, is this extension going to be for the full four years, $200 million? And, you know, there could be, you know, I'm not kind of reporting this or anything like that, but, you know, just the way the CBA is tightened up and uh, the market generally is tightened up, um, you know, Siakam could be looking at us and going, if I go all the way to free agency, am I really going to get? You know the four, the you know the full, the full max. Uh, maybe there's going to be, you know, that that market is a little tighter than it, it is. It might have been in other circumstances. Maybe I'm better off getting, you know, if the Raptors are willing to do a three-year deal. Maybe I'm better off, better off doing that, and then that in turn could, um, you know, if all of a sudden you're on a three-year contract or two years in an option or something like that, you know, maybe you're more interesting. Uh, trade piece in that scenario as well. Michael, where have your thoughts evolved on the Yakupertle deal? Because I, man, at the time it was shocking to see this team add and, and certainly give up a first round pick for for a guy that was on an expiring contract. But obviously acquiring him, you know, it made some sense, right? Like this is you, you couldn't go out and get him in free agency, controlling his bird rights and understanding that you were going to re-sign him. And you know, there were statistical reasons to believe that he made this Raptors team better when he arrived last season, both offensively and defensively, we're, we're you know, we, we've seen more and more of this version of Yaka Pertle with this version of this Raptors team. And it's obviously not that uh, difference-making when it comes to the record. Uh, and now they, they don't control their first-round pick this season. Like, where where have your feelings evolved on the Pertle trade? Um, well, I, I kind of would separate them a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, if, uh, if I had a magic wand, you know, I think last year at the trade deadline, certainly by last summer, but let's say last year the trade deadline, I think that was the time to unwind this team. Um, you know, and then to your point, that's not when you would have added and been trading picks and the rest of that. Um, so I think, you know, we'll see how this all shakes out, you know, but I think um, we're going to look back and go, yeah, maybe that was, that was, that was the time to be selling. Um but as it relates specifically to Pirtle, I mean, I think I think the value they they paid. I mean, I, I think what they gave up, what they've got, how he's performed. I think it's been a good deal, and I think it's, um, you know, I, I think he's, you know, the reason. It, it's kind of like you can kind of go through five or six or seven players on this roster, and on an individual basis, you know, I, I you know, yeah, they're playing well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like Dennis Roder for 13 million. Like he's, yeah, it's not a bad point guard, but is he, you know, should he be your starting point guard? And, you know, do you want a guy who's, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think his fit with Jakob Pertl is more of the problem. I think Jakob's fit with the rest of this roster is more of the problem. And keep in mind when they traded him, they had Fred Van Vliet, who was, um, you know, a floor spreading point guard. And, you know, so it was a little less of an issue to have a center that had to operate within 15 feet of the paint or 15 feet of the rim. Um, but when you lose Van Vliet and then you add um, a point guard who's, you know, 
not a three-point threat in a significant way, it just cramps your spacing even more. And I think so. So I think that's where um, the issue is: is um, not on the player, not on actually the deal. I mean, I think you know the like I said, I think if they have if the Spurs end up drafting it, drafting, picking eighth or ninth in this draft, it's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, you know, Jakob was a, you know, it's pretty unlikely if the Spurs end up picking ninth, it's probably unlikely they're going to get a player as good as Jakob Pertl, who himself was a ninth pick, mm-hmm. um, you know, eight or nine years ago. So I just think it's, it was the timing of the deal that I kind of have a problem with. And then I think the way this roster fits together, it, it just, you know, I think everyone, kind of struggles a little bit. Yeah, no question. I, I mentioned it. Uh, right now, the the Raptors are are not in the the bottom six of the lottery odds or the top six of the NBA's draft lottery odds, but they're not that far off, right? They're only two games up on six. Like, do, is, is there, and it, it's hard to imagine, unless, of course, there is the re-signing and then, yeah, revisiting the, those trade options either in the offseason or next season. Um, it, it seems unlikely that they're, they're going to, this year, I don't think they're going to be adding at the deadline. Like, is there any consideration to to maybe leaning into the skid a little bit as far as, you know, saving your your first round pick this year and maybe trying to get in the bottom six? And of course, there's no guarantee that that you end up as a, a, a top six draft team either way. But like, would you rather convey your first round pick this year, or would you rather in a season in which it, it feels already lost? Um, save it for next year, right? Like it's top six protected this year. If it doesn't convey to the to the Spurs this year, it's it's a first round pick next year, and then actually, I think a first round pick beyond that too before it converts to a second round pick. Like, how do they feel about that pick and the proximity to which the Raptors are to the bottom six in the draft lottery order right now? No, it's an excellent question. I think uh, have you guys ever heard of a guy named Cooper Flag? I have. I've seen that. I've seen the videos on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Pretty so, impressive. So, so yeah. So there's no Cooper flags in the 2024 draft, and um, the next, I think the 2025 draft, the 2026 draft are actually there's a lot of really really good players and uh, like superstar level players. So I think you know this is a situation you're in. I think you, um, you know, I think you want to get this pick conveyed and out of your. Um, you know, and off your books as soon as you can, uh, keeping in mind also that going forward, you know, if, if you haven't conveyed this pick, it does encumber you, and you know, if you ever want to be in the business of trading picks going forward, um, as long as you've got a pick that's owed, it's another, it's another obstacle um, in terms of, of doing deals and aggregating picks and those kinds of things. So I think this year, you know, I just have heard nothing different you know, look, there's going to be good, there's going to be NBA players that come out of the 2024 draft. There's no doubt of that, but I've heard nothing that suggests that, that the projections are wrong, that, you know, this year is going to, if you're picking in the top six, you're guaranteed a, you know, a, a all-star quality player, or, or if you're not picking in the top six, you're not. I mean, it just doesn't seem to be that strong a draft. So I think if anything, and it kind of leads a little bit to what we were talking about off the top. If anything, I think you want to make sure that you uh, don't finish in that put in that bottom six. You do uh, end up um, having that pick convey and 
and just uh, moving on with your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, that does make sense now that you you talk it out. You know, I was looking at, I'm thinking of a guy you mentioned in, in an earlier answer, in Dennis Schroeder, and he's been a really nice kind of found piece for this team, especially, you know, for the salary, 12 million bucks this year. It's going to be 13 next year. Do you think that he is effectively just kind of a stopgap guy on this team? Do you think there's maybe a little bit more of a future there? Do you think if there's not, he's an asset that they need to be maybe thinking about doing something with? Where are you at on on Dennis Schroeder and how he fits into the you know let's be real a medium picture a medium term future of this team? Yeah, I think you know, I think he was a response to a problem. I think he's uh, you know he's delivered what could be reasonably expected and and a little more too. I mean, I get um, you know I get an opportunity to talk to people about him. I get an opportunity to be around practice and, and and see him around his teammates and and i think he's been a, a very additive piece in terms of how he carries himself how he interacts with with people and um and all of those kinds of things but as you point out you're a, you know a 30 year old point guard on a two-year deal it's not like he's being looked at as you know a long-term solution at a very key position so um you know, I think it's it was just a response to an issue, to a challenge, and to a, you know, <laughs> to to having Fred VanVleet leave, and you know, and 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 a player like Dennis, like he's he's a really good NBA player, but is he the kind that's going to change a program? Uh, you know, individually, no. Um, so yeah, he's you know, I think if the answer is would he be somebody they would look at trading? Is he somebody they look at whatever? I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, clearly you're going to need a point guard, uh, you know, that can um, help, you know, lift your program at some point, you know, sooner rather than later. And that's no, no disrespect to, to Dennis either. I mean, he's, you know, he's he's been in this league for a long time and been on really good teams. And whether it's here in Toronto or anywhere else at any point, like he'll probably, he'll probably be on good teams again. It's just, you know, is he the guy who can see your classic, you know, kind of lead guard that's going to set the tone for everyone around you? Probably not. All right, last one. Vibes check. They they, they seem bad. They they, <laughs> they seem uh, not not so great. And so much of the season was was banking on a return to good vibes. And yes, I don't know which comes first, the winning or the vibes, but neither is happening for this team. And I think, uh, listen, if we're talking about, like the players understand the writings on the wall and the, the, there's probably some major changes that are coming before the trade deadline, like where are we on the vibes, and is it possible that they get worse before February? Uh, I think they're in a bit of <laughs> there's kind of a, a, an acceptance going on, you know. That that uh, I would say the vibes are fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I mean, I think it's 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 uh, the it's a tough situation. Like, I mean, it's a long year. You've got sixty games to go, or fifty nine, whatever it is. And it's hard to judge based on the first 23 or four if, you know, it's hard to conclude that, okay, you know, the better days are ahead. And so I think, you know, once they're kind of in that mode now where, you know, just like all of us are, it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do now? Are we going to just kind of let go of the rope and, and uh, just let this thing really go out of control or, kind of dig in and, and, and try to be the best they can. And, and I think, you know, one thing that I think Dark Rye is going for him is, is I think he's, I think the players do 
kind of appreciate his approach. I think he's a he's not the kind of guy who's going to throw up his hands and start pointing fingers. So, you know, I think once they kind of get out of this little slide they're in, uh, there's no reason they can't be a play-in team. And uh, that's probably where they were realistically headed for anyway. And so it's just a matter of can they, you know, kind of achieve that, what's a realistic goal for them. Um, so uh, that's, that's, I guess, where the vibes are. But, I mean, I think, you know, if you're talking our are people sitting there feeling like they're part of something that's that's growing and that's you know that uh, is on an upward trajectory? It's you know it'd be pretty hard to it'd be pretty hard to kind of arrive at that conclusion right now. Yep, uh, loses a four straight, um, but they have a, a team in a similar standing spot uh, tonight in the Atlanta Hawks. Michael, uh, great work on on the website today, and uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks, man. Take care, guys. See you. There's Michael Grange, Raptors and Hawks tonight, Scotiabank Arena. On Sportsnet 590, the fan. Bad vibes. Like, I, I, they're okay, I yeah. guess. I, I, considering the circumstances, right? I think they're okay. Yep. And it's nice to, to hear Michael talk about Darko Ryakovic being a positive influence on mm. the vibes. And yeah, I would hope he's not throwing his hands up like 20 games <laughs> into yeah, his What NBA do you want me career? to do with these guys? Nick was right. Get him back. Uh, yeah. But I think, yeah, you'd have to be an idiot to, yeah. to, to see anything other than what's plainly obvious. This is not a team with a robust future as currently assembled. Yeah, no, not remotely. Like, and the worst part is, is you can't even point to a bunch of guys and say, do not like, get out of here. They're all... Fine. Mm. Okay. To varying not degrees. Not enough of them, though. No, right? no. Like, that, you're you're very right. And the ones that are here don't fit perfectly together. It's the no. conversation we've been having for two two and a half years or two hundred. It's impossible to say. Like, w- were we having this conversation when there were dinosaurs on the planet? Because yeah. we've been going in circles with this team uh, for so long. Yeah. Need human beings that are able to shoot the basketball into the hoop, especially from three point land. That would shooting, be very helpful. Shooting in the hoop is so good in that sport. Yeah. And you're going to get to watch a guy, unfortunately, do that the next two home games. You see the Raptors are home for two straight Mm -hmm. against the Hawks. Mm -hmm. Like, the Hawks are here. Mm -hmm. They're still here tomorrow. And they're going to play again on Friday here. Could not remember a, like, away and away for a team. Like, the Hawks coming here. They're just sitting here. They're hanging out. What are these guys going to get up to in the city for three days? That's a great point. Is this the old Will Friday at 730 Mm. be the old Sunday at 1 o'clock Raptors scheduled win? City of Toronto, (laughs) do your thing, baby. It's true. You know what? Oh, and and talking to Grange, it's it's put into stark reality that you can't even root for this team to tank itself into having its own first round pick. because maybe you don't want that. Like if it conveyed to a second rounder next year, then you'd be like, okay, well, let's just. Do that, then yeah. yeah, that sounds good. But no, it's a first round pick, top six protected mm-hmm. next year if it doesn't convey, and then if it doesn't convey next year, it's a top six protected pick the year beyond mm-hmm. that, and then finally, if it doesn't convey, it converts to a, a second round pick. But um, no, you got to actually sort of win, yeah. right? Like not be the worst this year. No, and like Grange said, the idea is if, even if you don't want to, like even if you don't want to give up the pick this year, it does gum up what you can do trade wise. Not that you're looking to give away mm-hmm. a ton of first round picks if you're the Raptors right now. <laughs> I would say. All right. Time now for the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Raptors with the first of two against the Atlanta Hawks at Scotiabank Arena tonight. On uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and Sportsnet 1, 730. And it is the Raptors favored by two and a half. The total, 240 
and a half, Brent. I'm just going to take the Hawks on the money line. Uh, the Raptors, the Hawks are not good enough for the Raptors to beat them, I think is the way I, I look at that. We've seen this. We're better the team, the more the Raptors, the That's more true. you get out of the Raptors. So I think Hawks win today than setting up us able to take the Raptors on the money line on Friday. But today, we're going to take Hawks on the money line. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to spiral entirely out of control for the Raptors, who have lost four consecutive. This is this is not a team that's going to fold up the the tent. And I actually do like the Raptors on a on a short line. Okay, uh, at at two and a half. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens hosting Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins on Sportsnet at seven o'clock tonight. Penguins need to turn their season around and turn it around quickly. Uh, the Penguins are naturally favored despite being on the road. Minus 154. The Canadians plus 130 of the total. Six and a half in this hockey game. I'm going to go back to the money line and I'm going to take the Canadians. Penguins at minus 154 for how bad they are this year. Quite frankly, it's not good. And I know, you know, it's been weird stretches for both these teams. Canadians have owned the Penguins over the last handful of seasons. Seven and three in the last 10 meetings between these these two sides. Mm. I'm just going to take the Canadians on the money line there. Uh, total kind of scares me. Don't like a spread. So, yeah, Canadians on the money line. Dude, I'm I'm with you. I think the Penguins are circling the drain this season and it uh it doesn't appear to be getting any better if they've lost four of their last five three straight on the road. So give me the Montreal Canadiens on the plus money line. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, Nick Kiprios, real Kipper and born, as the Maple Leafs continue to roll over the top team in the Eastern Conference yesterday at MSG. Kipper's old stomping grounds. We'll talk to him next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.